This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Sun Life Ministries with Dan Spader and his team. Here's audio content from Sun Life in their track called Life of Christ Disciple-Making. Okay, so if you're looking for the fifth Sun Life track um, on uh, community and two critical things disciple makers um, do together and do in community, you're in the right place. If that's not what you're looking for, um, that's okay. You can stick around and uh, uh, be entertained or take a nap either way. And um, so, but before we start, uh, let me pray for us and then I want to... Uh, Kind of, kind of walk through, and I want to make sure I leave space for you guys. If there are questions, if there's pushback, if there's uh, disagreement, if there's whatever, um, because we're talking about in this one some aspects of community, and so uh, I am by nature a lecturer, and that uh, by nature is antithetical to community. Um, so, uh, um, so I don't know how I ended up here, but uh, um, so let's pray, and then uh, we'll dive in, Father. Uh, Man, you're good. Lord, I just I just think today you must be smiling, thinking of what you could do if, uh, if we all left this meeting, this conference, forum, whatever it's called, and uh, believed you and what you've spoken to our hearts this, uh, this week, what you could do, Lord. Um, Father, we desire... To see you made famous in our world, Lord. To see people to know you for the great and awesome God you are. And yet so often we're messing that all up and getting in the way, Lord. And so I pray that uh, you would give us listening hearts and, um, and courage to obey what you say to us, Lord. I pray that... Uh, we wouldn't leave this week with all kinds of new dreams and vision and all this stuff, but that we would just go home and lead out of obedience, Lord. That we would just listen and do what you tell us. Um, and God, that we might continue to be conformed to the likeness and priorities of, of, of what we do and in character of who we are. Uh, that we'd continue to be conformed to the image of our big brother, Jesus and so uh, it's in his name we talk with you, uh, and uh, I pray you would just guide this session now. And, uh, and so it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good deal. So we're talking about two critical practices that disciple-makers do together, that we do in community. When you look at the uh, ministry of Jesus, you look at his disciple-making, you know, it is always intentional, uh, relational, and missional. So these are the two things that are critical that disciple makers are going to do uh, together. Um, we'll figure out how the three of those end up making two um, here in a minute. But we're talking first uh, about um, doing this in community. And you know, uh, community is a big buzzword uh, in the church and in our world today. Um, but it has a whole lot of connotations and a lot of people mean a lot of different things. When you think about community, what is it that you think about? Like in your circles, how are we defining this word? You know, at your church, I don't know if you've got small groups or community groups or life groups or what groups or this, this group or that group. But I'm sure somewhere in there you use the word community. Um, what does that what do you mean? Doing life together. Doing life together. Yeah, that's great. It, it, it assumes there's something in common. Something in common. Wow, yeah, the word community comes from a French word that means in common. That came from a, some Latin word that meant something like that too. Yeah, yeah, good translation in the French there. So, yeah, we got something in common, you know. Support. Support. Yeah, that... That when we think about community, we think we're not alone. We're not alone in this. 
There's a team idea here. Yeah. Anybody else in, in the circles you're in, when people talk about community, what are they talking about? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about uh, proximity to one another. You know, not just in ideas, but also uh, geographically, you know. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because in all the different definitions that are out there, Wikipedia had a a massive definition of community. Um, But in all those different definitions, there's, there's something that comes up that I think we all agree with, and it's a connectedness. The people who live in community have a connectedness. Maybe it's connectedness because they're in the same neighborhood. Maybe it's because they're on the same ideas. Maybe it's because they're on the same team. They're doing life together with a connectedness. And I think one example of connectedness um, that sticks out to me uh, more than, than probably any other is the bond that men who've been in a foxhole together have. You know, it, it's really... Amazing men who have bled and fought side by side have a connectedness that carries through life. They don't see each other for 50 years. You see these vets. You know, when I was flying out here, there were vets coming off of a plane, guys in wheelchairs and different things. And there was a whole huge entourage of police officers, military and family and all these people. And they were cheering. And, you know, you came in the airport, you're like, what's going on? You know, and these guys, when you see these older vets meet each other, they may not have seen each other in 50 years And immediately they're like brothers, you know. Um, There is a connectedness that that can only occur in mission, you know. Um, A lot of times we think about community uh, and we we pervert it a little bit and and uh, uh, and we begin to think about community only in regards to me and how community serves me, and and it becomes all about. Um, the American dream of comfort, pleasure, privacy. I want to live in community with my people, you know, the people who are like me. But yet, what Jesus models to us in community is more that foxhole image of of we are going to have a connectedness and the baseline for that is going to be we're on the same mission here. And throughout Jesus' ministry of making disciples, we're going to see that He's always missional. He's always intentional. He is always relational. You know, even in His invitation, which we're going to move to here in just a second. If you were in the last session, we looked at how in Jesus' uh, life, there are basically five phases to His life. And we're going to concentrate on phase three and moving forward. And, uh, and if you think about it, most of what you know about Jesus um, is from phase three and forward. Let me just prove that to you. Here is phase one of Jesus' ministry. Everything that God gave us. Here is everything God gave us for phase two. Here... Is phase three, four, and five. So most of what we know about Jesus is phase three forward. And in the invitation that shifts that phase, we see Jesus say to these guys um, really clearly, and that's where these terms come from. He says to them, come follow me. That's a relational thing. He doesn't say, come join this study group. Hey, go home and memorize these 12 things. He says, come follow me. Come be with me. In uh, uh, about two and a half years into the ministry of Jesus, Jesus is going to choose 12 leaders. And in Mark 3, it's going to tell us that the first reason He chose them is that they might be with Him. It's He's always pushing into relationship. We'll get back to that in a minute. But, um, but secondly, He says, come follow me and I will make you. I mean, there's great intentionality. and He doesn't say, and we'll hang out and brainstorm and just see what happens. You know, we'll just, we'll just cruise and see what goes down. You know, he says, look, come be with me and I am going to make you fishers of men. There's a mission that I am going to train and release you on. 
You know, and so we see that throughout his ministry, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. Um, we'll see that kind of uh, uh, just as a backdrop to everything we're gonna talk about um, today. So <clears throat> there's a there's a lot of the more I study Jesus, the more I realize that a lot of what I think about the Bible, Christianity, myself, my world, God, has really been flavored drastically um, by my religious upbringing and not exactly from the Bible, you know. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I think through what do I think I'm here for, a lot of the answers I have are answers I've been handed and even lived part of my life out for, but they're not exactly what Jesus was doing, you know. Um, you know, I talk about I want to change the world. You know, Jesus didn't even travel the world. <laughs> I've seen more of the world than Jesus did. I mean, apart from in Genesis when he made it. But, uh, um, you know, but at the incarnate Jesus, you know, when he was here, um, it, it, he, he didn't do that. What he did is he, the plan that he had, that the Father gave him, was to begin a movement of making disciple makers. Um, so, the ministry that, that I've been a part of for a long time. Uh, we don't we don't say that we're making disciples because the connotations of that word it's been so convoluted. It's like, well, what's a disciple? Yeah, I don't I don't even you know, and it just runs all over the gamut. And in the ministry that I was a part of, it was an interdenominational ministry. So we've got people coming from all over the place. So they all come with all different definitions. And so we really moved to saying, look, you know, the mission Jesus gave us is to make disciple makers. I think that. I think that holds a little closer to what Jesus is getting at because I don't think Jesus could fathom a non-reproducing disciple. Like, like I think Jesus would be like, what are you talking about? You, you know, Remember Luke 14? Jesus is like, look, you want to be my disciple? You want to be a disciple of Christ? A disciple of the Messiah? This, this isn't just a ticket out of hell. It's not what this is about. You know, this is... This is a big deal. Like, I'm going to bring you into life. You have lived in shadows forever, and you think it's awesome there. you got no clue what living is. And you're all afraid that I'm going to take away from you your shadow world. You know? You think I'm going to steal. So I didn't come to steal anything. Thieves come to steal and kill and destroy. I am here. I'm going to show you real life. What real life looks like. You know? And so Jesus invites into that. Um, so here's the thing. If we're making disciple makers, if we're making disciples who make disciples, if we're making reproducing lovers of Jesus, well, at some point we've got to teach and train them how to, how to do that. And that's where the shift in, in phase three happens. So, you know, we see this, which I find it, just unbelievably amazing that Jesus' ministry really takes off when he's gone. You know? Like, you know, I'm a youth pastor. I leave, everything crashes. You know, I'm like, I did a great job. Look, six months after I left, everybody's gone. And it stinks, you know? Jesus leaves, and man, this thing takes... Now, we shouldn't underestimate the Holy Spirit, of course, in this. But but a lot of it is, too, because of principles of multiplication. So, So we were looking at this this morning. And uh, this is about 18 to 21 months, phase two, phase one, 30 years. Um, and, uh, and we're talking about now in phase three, and the shift of phase three comes that Jesus now isn't just doing ministry. He's not just proclaiming the kingdom because he's not just trying to make what we might call disciples. He's trying to make disciple makers. So there's a shift to beginning to equip and train um, people. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the idea um, that something that has to be done in community that is critical to the mission is uh, equipping um, of uh, disciple makers. And and so we're going to concentrate pretty much on, on phase three and, and moving forward. Uh, so I was in Santa Barbara. I was having coffee with this dude. And... Uh, um, uh, by the way, I, I've been in surf ministry for a long, long time. So if I say dude or gnarly or stoked or something, forgive me. Uh, sometimes I, my vernacular doesn't switch 
when I leave the, the ocean. And, uh, um, but I, I was having coffee with this guy and, uh, and it started to get real, you know, and, and then he said, you know what, I'm just going to tell you, I don't like the way you train people to do evangelism. I'm like, whoa, okay, yeah, right on. Well, here's the thing. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and so, uh, hey, I'm, I'm a learner, man. I'm ready. You, you know, so, so what I said to him is, hey, how do you train people to do evangelism? He said, I don't. I said, so what I said was, well, I like the way I train better than the way you train. You know, um, you know, something's better than nothing, you know, and, you know, the thing is, as we talk further, he said, well, I believe people that love Jesus will, uh, will share Jesus. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that, you know, but, it's not really bearing out statistically in America, you know. Like I, I don't, I don't see a lot of people sharing Christ. I see a lot of people grabbing Jesus and getting on with their life and thinking, "Cool, I don't go to hell now," you know. Um, and so, and you know, you know, maybe you could argue that they they uh, they don't love Jesus or or whatever. But here's the thing, and this is a greater emphasis than statistical, you know, junk that we get from whatever expert um the problem with the idea that my buddy good guy but uh the the problem is he's wrong because the bible says otherwise first off uh you know in in ephesians you guys know ephesians 4 11 you know that that some were given to be evangelists that god specially gifted certain people with the gift of evangelism why because the next verse verse 12 4 12 that they might Train. The word is train others to do the work of the ministry, specifically in regard to those who have the gift of evangelism. That's the work of evangelism. They're training them. And the word there is train. And so the idea that we're not supposed to train people, well, Paul didn't see that. And so where did Paul come up with this idea? Well, he came up with it because in Mark chapter 4, um, Jesus walks up uh, on the beach and he invites these two brothers to come follow him. And he's going to make them fishers of men. And then he walks a little bit further and he gets two more guys, um, James and John. And he invites them. And he says, "I'm same thing to them. I'm going to train you to be fishermen, uh, fishers of men. And the thing is, the model of Jesus, what we see then is the next six things recorded in the Bible are fishing trips. Which you're like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. I'm going to make you fishermen. What are we going to do? We're going to go fishing, you know? So what do they do? Well, they spend a couple days talking through that a little bit. What's going on? And then Saturday morning, they rock up in the synagogue and they, they get to watch and participate in a fishing trip of a demon-possessed man in church, which that's a whole nother sermon right there. Demon-possessed guy in church. There's a lot of good jokes in that. And, uh, um, and But then they're going to leave there and they're going to go over to Peter's mother-in-law's house and they're going to they're going to see how does Jesus do ministry and how does he fish for people in a in a home setting and then they're going to go on six fishing trips around Galilee um where he's teaching them he's training them it's really interesting because the uh Billy Graham School of Evangelism says that 17 times we see Jesus with the masses um, I, I, I'm well familiar with that. I grew up in a ministry, big is better, and we're going to attract everybody, and we're going to have the loudest, most amazing rock band and give away free pizza until everybody gets saved, you know? And we're going to draw everybody in, So, because Jesus did big events, and he did. 17 times he's with the Master. He feeds the 5,000, he feeds the 4,000, he teaches the crowds, he does all these things. But here's what caught me off guard. From this point, where he walks up to two dudes, one of them's probably 20, um, one of them is younger than that, maybe 17 to 19, and he says to him, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. From that point forward, Jesus spends 46 times. He's with the few. In, in Mark chapter 9, it says he goes into this town. He doesn't want anybody to know he's there because he's teaching his disciples. He's training them. Because remember, what are we trying to do here? What is Jesus trying to do? He is trying to make disciple makers. Here's the interesting thing. I don't know if this will make any sense whatsoever to you, but it does in my mind. So, <clears throat> average youth pastor comes into a church, and right off, he begins the first annual this, that, and the other. 
Um, and so his perspective is really long term. We're going to do this event and we're going to do it from now until Jesus comes and he may like it so much that he does it in the kingdom. You know, and so we're going to do this event forever. This is a first annual, which just as a side note, if it's the first time you did it, it ain't annual. It's inaugural. You know, I hate reading about first annual stuff. It ain't annual till the next year. And most of the time by then, the youth pastor's gone. So he never gets to do an annual event because here's the thing. His perspective is this big, but his commitment, where's his commitment? Average youth pastor in America sticks around 18 months. You know, it gets tough. And when it gets tough, you know what he thinks? Something's wrong with this place. It ain't me. It's this place. It's these people. Because if I went somewhere else, it wouldn't be tough. Um, and that's a, that's a whole other conversation. But because of that, he bails. Look at Jesus. Jesus is the only youth pastor who comes on the court and says, the clock is ticking. I am leaving. I am not going to be here. I understand the plan. How do you think that John understood that Jesus was the Lamb of God when 40 days earlier he didn't even know Jesus was the Messiah? Because when Jesus returned from the desert, he's hanging with John and he's explaining to him the plan. I am going to be the sacrificial Passover Lamb for the sins of the world. Remember, what did John say? The Pharisees send down some people to test him. Now, you got to remember, John's a big deal. He's a big deal on several levels. He's a big deal because people are coming from everywhere to hear him. They're coming from other countries. People believe that this guy is speaking on behalf of God, and that is something that hadn't happened in a long, long time. But he's also a big deal because his dad was a high priest. So, so guys, up in Jerusalem where they know how to do religion, send some guys down to interview him. And they kind of come going, dude, what are you doing? What is that out? And they come in their garb. You know, it tells us that they send these, these, you know, Levites and these guys and they come and they've got all their fancy and he's looking like a bum. And they're like, John, what are you doing? Your father would turn over in his grave. What are you? You know, and they come and they interview him. And what does John say? There is one standing in your midst. You don't even know it. Jesus was right there then. He and John were interacting over this. And so then, the next day, he says, Hey, that's the Lamb of God. How does he understand that? Because Jesus has been explaining it to me. So Jesus understood the plan that's unfolding. The Father's walking through that with him. Biblically. He's understanding it from the Word. Um, and so his perspective, the, most of our perspective is, oh man, we're going to do this forever. But our commitment is, as soon as it gets tough, we bail. Jesus' perspective is, I have to build something that runs without me. Because I'm leaving. But his commitment, we see in the garden. Man, I don't want to do this, Father. Do you got? Is there another option? But not my will. Your will be, I'm not quitting. His perspective is, is understanding this is temporary, but his commitment is all the way to the end. And so, so we see Jesus understanding that he's got to build disciples that make disciples because he's going to leave. Um, and he's beginning this movement. And so, um, and so with that, Jesus models for us that this is not going to just automatically happen. The idea that people are just going to do this, um, you know, I got this buddy, so he's uh, he's not a good dude. Uh, he's the kind of guy like him and his buddy were drunk, and uh, and his buddy was vomiting out of the truck, and he was bent over. So my buddy, who just thought this was a great idea, noticed there was a cattle prod laying there in the truck, and so his buddy's drunk, bent over, vomiting. And he gooses him in the rear end with that cattle prod. You know, I don't know how many volts that is, but that's the kind of guy he is. And he's a MMA fighter kind of guy, complete lost pagan. 
and uh, just just loved. One time we were talking, and when I was a kid, I was in like martial arts stuff, and I said, you know, my problem is I just don't like getting hit in the face. And he goes, I love getting hit in the face. I'm like, yeah, something wrong with you, Joe. You know, and uh, uh, um, but but this guy. You know, the Lord just loves him and, and we, we, we be, build this friendship and we're, we're, I just always liked him. We just always really hit it off and stuff. We were neighbors and, uh, um, and so, uh, we, we just hung out and, and things. And over time, uh, he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus. So I was in Chicago with Dan actually, studying the life of Jesus and my cell phone rings and I see it's, it's Joe and I have a, a, a committed, a commitment that if my disciples, uh, call me, you know, whatever I'm doing, I stop and take their call. So, so I answered, and uh, and Joe says, "Hey, man, I'm driving down the road with this idiot, and I'm telling him it's by faith, dude. And you can't do it. You just gotta trust Jesus. I'm about to kick his. You know, he's going into it, and it's like if you just trust people, that this will just happen. A, it won't. B, it will. <laughs> and you have to go back and clean all that up. You know." Um, and so Jesus models for us, we have, to, we have to train people for this to happen. And one of the first things that has to happen, so now we're going to look at the two things that have to happen in community, is the first is this. Um, you know, there are a lot of young men in America that are, you know, just ready to defend our nation, and they're ready to go, but they don't just naturally join the military. So the military has recruiters. When I was a kid, they came to our school, and uh, and they would tell us, "Oh, boy, you want to be a..." Mar-? Of course, they always came to me um, first. And uh, no, shockingly, you guys probably don't believe this, but I wasn't always the mountain of a man who stands before you. And so, uh, um, so uh, the the Marine Corps never never came knocking. And uh, um, but they would come to our school, and they would invite people in and come join our mission. You know, come, you know, da da da, and and uh, uh, and they would recruit. Because they knew this isn't just going to naturally happen. We got to recruit, recruit. And one of the things we see with Jesus, one of the first things he teaches us, is that to make disciple makers, we have to enlist people to come be trained. We have to invite them into this mission. Um, and there are some things that we need to take note of. Like we said, Jesus is always intentional. He's always missional. He's always relational. And so when we look at this, it's not random. You know, one of the things that you need to realize is you get all fired up. Okay, we're going to make disciple makers. All right. All right, Tony, let's, let's go. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to train you. And Tony's like, train me? I don't, I, what you t- I don't want to be trained. <laughs> Why do you keep calling me? Why do you keep asking me? I don't want to do this, you know? That doesn't work. You can't force people to join the mission of Jesus, you know? And so when we enlist, it's not just, okay, now... All seventh graders are going to go through this course. We have a class now, and every seventh grader will go through it. And they're going to learn to do evangelism. They're going to do peer share. They're going to do peer care. They're going to... No, they're not. No, they're not. You know? Like, I was teaching a, 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 at my church in Florida when I was living down there a month ago. And uh, um, and they uh, we were talking about evangelism. And I said, well, I want to start the class with this. I think we talk about evangelism too much. You know, my experience is we talk about evangelism all the time. Nobody does evangelism, you know. So what's the point? I, I think what we need to talk about is Jesus. Because when people fall in love with Jesus, then they say, will you show me how to share with other people? Will you teach me how to, how to do this, you know. But when you say, I'm going to teach you how to do this, they say, no, you ain't. <laughs> I ain't doing this. Or they sat through the class. Yeah, all right. This is great. That's awesome. Done. You know? And they don't they don't do it. And so enlisting, inviting people into this mission. You know, it, it's it's really critical. I know we all are running ministries. Well, I'm not anymore. I just make disciples and teach people to make disciples. Um uh I I was a CEO for uh almost 10 years of a national nonprofit. We're in 36 countries. I oversaw the US part. And uh, um and so I don't feel that weight that right now you sit here feeling. You have to go home after this, and you got to keep that hamster wheel going. You know, I get that. I've, I've been there most of my adult life. 
And, uh, and I get that. And so we're saying, okay, this is awesome. We're going to enlist and we're going to equip these people. That's great. How do I scale this? Because like we got to create a program that scales into our ministry because I got to figure out how to do this. And I got good news and bad news for you. You can scale this. You can't scale this. <laughs> you know, there, there are ways to implement this into your ministry. Um, but if you ignore intentionality, relationship, and the mission, you are not following Jesus because that's how he did it. That's how he did it. If, if you're inviting some, so you're saying, okay, okay, we need to train some people to do peer care with Christians and peer share with non-believers. Okay, so well, let's, let's just go around the church and start looking for people. You know, let's, let's, it's not what Jesus did. You know, Jesus didn't rock up and say, hey, do you want to be a part of the ministry team? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. What's your name? You know, that's not what he did. You know, I grew up thinking that Jesus was out for a walk on the beach. You know, sun's coming up. Birds are flying. He's, oh, this is a beautiful morning. And he sees these two guys and says, hi, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And by the way, what's your name? And they say, yes, master. And they drop their nets, leave their jobs, get fired, you know, and, and walk off, and none of that's accurate. It's not accurate at all, man. Eighteen months ago, these guys are seeking God. They're wanting to know the Lord's drawing them in, and so they go to hear John teach. What is God doing? And the Father leads a country bumpkin who nobody's ever heard of from a town nobody wants to go to, to go get baptized by John, who happens to be his dear, sweet cousin. And they're about six months apart. John's about six months older. And he, he rocks up. John's like, awesome, yeah, high five. But John doesn't have a clue that Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to tell us in John 1, I didn't even know it was him. But the Father told me, while you're baptizing, keep your eyes open. And the one that you see the Spirit descend on, that's him. And guess what? It was him! Go figure! You know? It was Jesus. You know, Jesus comes from a town out in the middle of nowhere. And Nazareth was such a country town that the accents of the people there were so strong, kind of like West Virginia, that, uh, uh, that the people from there, I'm from West Virginia originally, by the way, and, uh, um, and so uh, the people from there were not allowed to read Scripture aloud in Jerusalem because their accent was considered degrading to the Word of God. You know, so that's the guy that rocks up who there's nothing Isaiah tells us that men would be drawn to him. And John says, that's him. And people go, awesome. Which way were you pointing, John? Are you pointing at that guy? Really? Young John, not John the Baptist, James's little brother, he and Andrew go and they hang out with Jesus for, for a few hours. It's about four in the afternoon. They're hanging out with him. They, 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 he's, we don't know exactly how that conversation went, but when it's over, they're convinced they found the Messiah. And so Andrew starts you know, running and getting people. The first person he goes and gets is, is his brother Peter. And, and he says, man, you've got to come meet this Jesus. And, and there's a little secret principle of disciple-making that God reveals to us there. There's actually a couple. There's probably a ton, but there's two that are real obvious. One is, Andrew goes and gets Peter. He doesn't solve all Peter's problems. He doesn't become his, his personal security blanket forever. He doesn't answer all his questions and doubts. What he does is bring him to Jesus. The end goal of making disciples is to introduce people to Jesus, to train them, rooted and built up in Christ, to train them how to have a relationship with Jesus that doesn't include you, and to equip them how to serve Him that doesn't include you. That we're following the model of Jesus. How do I build disciples that walk with God without me? They're not walking with God proxy through me. You know? And so that little, and then another really interesting thing, especially when we talk about enlisting, is that, that, uh, um, Peter came. 
You know, Andrew invited him and he came. You know, sometimes we're just begging people to come to Jesus. They don't want to come to Jesus. You know, what we need to do is say, God, give me a sensitive heart. We're sharing with everybody. It's kind of like at the beach. I take my kids and we throw this cast net. You know, you throw this net out and it makes a big circle. You try to get it really wide. I'm not very good at it. But you throw it out. When it hits the water, all the fish under it get scared and they all swim. They either swim in or they swim out. If they swim out, they get away. If they swim in, they're headed to disaster. And as you pull that in, it gets more and more and more and more narrow. And those who swim in and keep swimming in end up in the net. Jesus throws that net wide. Anybody, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me. He throws it out, but some people swim away. Some swim in, and he pulls it more and more and more narrow. It gets more narrow, you know. And those who respond keep coming. And Jesus doesn't get mad at them. And he doesn't say, oh, you're a jerk. Well, you're the one missing out. Well, you're going to go to hell, you know. He says, hey, I love you. You know where I am. I would love for you to join me, you know. And so, so anyways, Jesus is enlisting. He's enlisting. It's very intentional. It's very relational. Um, you know, it's significant that when he chooses his leadership team, you know, it says that he chose 12 and then it lists their names. I don't think that played out like him going, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you in the back. Yeah, you come. Yeah, no, no, the other guy. Yeah. And, uh, Let's see, you, you look like a strong guy. You come here and, uh, no, um, you know, I don't think that's how it played out. I mean, the next sentence is listing of the names. I mean, he knew these people. He knew them personally. He'd spent a lot of time with them. And so, Jesus, 18 months later, is gonna enlist these guys for 18 months. They've spent time at different times with him. That first week, they spend a good many days with him. You know, they're with him for about a week. You know, if you've ever taken kids away on a retreat, you know that the relational equity of a couple days together can run you for 6 to 12 months. You know, that there's a bond from that time together. So Jesus spends about a week with these guys. And then, about 6 months later, he sees them down uh, at the Passover. You know, and of course, he freaks them all out because he walks in and goes... Wham! And starts flipping tables. And they're like, oh gosh, what if my mother's going to kill me? What are we doing hanging out with this guy? You know, because they don't know him that well, you know. And then they spend some time with them there in the Judean countryside. And then they head back. And of course, he's like, hey, I want to take you through a kind of a rough neighborhood. And they're like, oh, we don't go through Samaria. What are you doing? If my folks find out where you've taken me, we're going to never be allowed to hang out with you. You know, and he takes them back up through Samaria. But now he comes in and lists them. At this point, there is enough relational equity that they are willing to reprioritize their life to be with Him. They do not fully understand the mission He's inviting them into. They they understand He's going on some kind of mission. They primarily misunderstand that mission. But here's what they do get. We get to be with you. We get to be with you. We need to be sure that in this process we never move away from, hey guys, at the end of the day, this you know what this is about? It's about you sitting with Jesus. The lover of your soul. That's, we can't move, move away from that. So he enlists them. Well, well, as you think through, and we'll pick up pace now, as you think through, how do, how do we enlist? Um, uh, you know, who do you enlist? Because you don't just choose anybody. You know, that's just a recipe for frustration. And so in Luke 5, the second time that Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee and says to them, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, this is a second occasion. After the first tour, they go back to work. He comes back again and invites them again. And uh, um, and this time we see a couple things. And, and at Sun Life, we use this silly acronym AFTER, but we misspell the word. Um, and so it's A-F-T-R. And uh, it's it, it's how you spell the word AFTER in West Virginia. And so uh, um, and so it, it's an acronym for a few things. One is we see uh, that they're available. They're available. They're willing to reprioritize. Here's the thing. There's some amazing people in your ministries, and they just aren't available. You say to them, hey, I would like you to come join a team of people. We're going to meet X, Y, Z, whatever, and we're going to train you how to join Jesus in his mission. And they're like, well, let's see. Monday night I've got this. Tuesday night I've got that. You know, it doesn't mean they're pagans. It means they're not available. 
You ain't got to hate them. You just, but you, you're not going to be able to train them until they're available. I mean, you can't, you cannot train people without time, you know. And so, um, but when a person glimpses Jesus and walks with him, he gets to a place where he goes, all right, I'm in. You know, I'm texting during uh, Don's session. I'm over here texting. I probably should have been listening to Don. But, uh, um, but I'm texting one of my disciples. And uh, he's a, uh, uh, got a just gnarly past. And, and we're just walking through, you know, um, him. He is at a tipping point right now of, of saying, man, I have tasted enough of Jesus. Um, he's accepted Christ as a Savior but he is wrestling with obedience. I do not want to give up leadership of my life to you, you know. And he's just going back and forth. And but, but he's experienced enough now of Jesus that it's like he's looking at himself, saying, "What am I doing, Jesus? You are so good. Why am I holding on to anything, you know?" And so, so available, available. The next thing is faithful. You know, as we look at people, are they faithful to obey? What Jesus is telling them. Not just to obey, but are they faithful to run back to Jesus when they disobey? Like, like if your standard is, hey, we're going to create a team of people that we're equipping for ministry. Now remember, we're not equipping them for leadership. This isn't about leadership development yet. This is about ministry development. This is about building workers for a harvest field. This is about teaching normal, everyday people to join the fun of making disciples. You know, so I don't give a rip if they ever become a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or youth leader or anything, but I do care if they make disciples who make disciples. And so, so are they faithful? Are they obeying? Are they learning to obey? Brian hasn't learned to obey yet. And so I'm not teaching him how to do ministry yet. You know, I'm teaching him to obey. Um, and so available, faithful, lastly, teachable. You know, if you've ever, if you've been in ministry for a little while, you know the worst thing in the world is try to teach somebody who's not teachable. Man, that's just super frustrating. It, it, there's just no point at all. And so, are people hungry to learn? And lastly, is responsive. Are they responsive to you and your leadership? Um, and are they responsive to the vision of your ministry? You know, there are some people who are available, they're faithful, they're awesome, uh, you know, they're, they're teachable, but they just don't like you. <laughs> you know, and so you need to find somebody else in the ministry who can work with them. Uh, you just don't click, you know, uh, I, I've had that happen to me lots of times. And so uh, available, faithful, teachable, responsive. So here's the thing. This phase is the tipping point in ministry. This is where we move from running a ministry to doing ministry. This is where we move from having an audience watching us do really cool stuff to creating an army that starts to go into its world and win back from the darkness uh, the souls of people. You know, this is, this is where we see kingdom expansion. In America, we primarily see kingdom reshuffling, you know, uh, not expansion. I don't want to do that, man. My hometown's finding dead bodies in every public restroom with needles hanging out of them because all the heroin coming through Baltimore and, and Maryland, and it's ridiculous. I want to see those people meet Jesus, and I want to see them free from heroin. I don't want to just get the person who their church's music sucks, you know, because they change worship leaders, so they're coming to my church because we got pyrotechnics, you know, that... I don't give a rip about any of that. But I care. The people are dying and going to hell. That matters. And it matters to Jesus. And so this is the tipping point where that changes because now we're building an army of people that that matters to, that what Jesus thinks matters. So enlisting them to train them. Remember, this ain't just going to happen automatically. we got to train them. To, to do that, we have to invite them in. We can't just think, well, everybody will get trained. No, it's got to be intentional um, and relational and missional. Okay, the last thing uh, is that we have to equip them. Uh, in Ephesians 4.12, one of the most famous, that we need to train them um, for the work of the ministry. The word train. The word train there is an interesting Greek word. I am not a Greek scholar, so do not let me pretend here. But the, the Greek word is katartiso. 
and uh, um, I'm sure I mispronounced that. But uh, um, but it's an interesting word. It's there in Ephesians 4, but it's also in Luke 6. Now, I can look up on my Blue Letter Bible where these things are and, and understand that, but I ain't no Greek scholar. But in Luke 6, that word's used again. It's a really interesting verse. It's another verse that points that our model is not Paul. Our model is not the whatever book is trending. Our model is not whatever mega church is growing. Our model is Jesus because in Luke 6, it says every student, when he is fully trained, will be like his master. Who's our teacher? Jesus. Who are we becoming like? Jesus. You know, Romans 8.28, everything's working together for good. What's the good? The American dream fulfilled in my life. No! God loves you way too much to let you waste your life on something as silly as comfort, pleasure, and privacy. Verse 29 tells us that the good that He's working everything to is to conform you to the image of Jesus. That He might be the firstborn among many brothers. God has a hang-up with twins. And He wants you to be one with Jesus. That you would become in character who you are in the inside. You'd be a person of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. That you'd be like Jesus in character. But also in priority. That what you do would be what Jesus did. And make disciples um, who make disciples. And so, that word there, um, fully trained. When we're fully trained, is the same word. But then the words over in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 21. And, and there it's an interesting word because it says he walked up and they were in the NIV preparing their nets. They were preparing. So in, in Ephesians 4, some versions say train, some say equip, some say prepare. You know, prepare. So here in Matthew 4, they are training. It's the same Greek word. Preparing their nets. But in other versions, so in the NLT it says this, repairing their nets. In the NSAB, in the uh, uh, New American Standard, it says mending. In the Amplified, it says mending and putting them right. Well, which is it? Is he repairing or is he preparing? Well, that's the funny thing about this Greek word. It's a two-sided coin. And so when it comes to equipping, there's two aspects. There's repairing and there's preparing. Let me ask you something. I work in surf ministry. Have you ever gotten naked with your disciples? You know, what, what I mean by that is this. Church culture is notorious for putting on parkas of pretending and, and performing because I don't really want you to know what a screw-up I am. And some of that is rooted in this because I don't really believe Jesus is big enough to deal with me. I think if he really knew what he'd had, he might not even keep me. You know, he may do catch and release and throw me back. You know, here that's so crazy. Jesus knew what he was getting. He isn't shocked by us. We act like he came into the dealership and bought some car and got home and said, this thing's a lemon. That's not what happened at all. Jesus came in as the greatest mechanic that ever lived and said, I'll take that. And all the angels said, are you out of your mind? That thing's a piece of junk. He said, I know. I'm going to turn it into a work of art. I'm going to take it home and put it back. You can't put that back together. Oh, watch. Watch. But see, here's the thing. You cannot be prepared to be the conduit of God's love in other people's lives until you have experienced the love of God in your life. Those who have been loved well will love well. The thing is, one of two things happens. Either we become a cul-de-sac of God's love, so we only focus on ourselves, or we become one of those roads. You ever see those roads? You're driving down the road and you look over and there's a road coming into your road, but it don't, it's the, doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't come from anywhere. It's like they started a road, but, you know, it enters, but it's a dead end. That's what it's like when we try to bring the love of Jesus to the people around us in our flesh. I'm not going to be honest with you, Jesus, about porn or gambling addictions or drugs or lust problems or anger problems or control problems. I don't have control problems. I just like to be the one driving, you know. uh, We're not going to be honest with you, Jesus, about that. But then we're going to go and we're going to sit with other people and tell them how Jesus can heal all the brokenness in them. That's bogus. John 15 says that will amount to nothing. Because first, I need repairing. 
Um, you know, some of this comes to sin repairing too, man. Sin breaks us up. And, you know, it's interesting because with that, you know, park of pretending and, 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 and performing for one another, you know, we never get honest about our sin. So I had this leader and he said, hey, man, listen, I know I ain't supposed to do this, but I'm going to divorce my wife. I'm over it. I'm out of here. I'm going to bail. You guys will get over it. And so I called this church, big church, and uh, which doesn't matter. And I said, hey, listen, this guy's going to bail. We're going to confront him. I'd like to have leadership from the church there to sit down, hug him, tell him, bro, please don't eat that cyanide pill. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to kill everybody around you. Please don't do this. We love you. Jesus has a plan for your life. Don't do this. Let us walk through. You know, and the pastor of that church said, well, we're not interested in meeting with him. I said, why not? He said, well, he's already resigned from leadership. I said, well, I don't care. I didn't even know he was a leader. Yeah, yeah, he's not a teacher anymore. He's resigned from all leadership. I said, well, he's still a Christian. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, we're in a big church. If we, if we confronted everybody that was having a divorce, we'd, we'd be doing that all the time. Like, are you kidding me? So, one of the things I found as a leader dealing with sin is in our ministry, we had a policy. If you fall in sin, here's what's going to happen. Boom, 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 boom. This is what we're going to do. You know, um, this is how we're going to love you. And, uh, and what I found is that most churches I knew had no policy. They had a policy for how to check books out of the library. They had a policy on how to use the printer, you know. They had a policy in who could walk across the platform, you know. But they didn't have a policy on sin. Like they're banking that nobody in their church is going to sin. Man, please, I'll take that bet. That'd be great. What are we thinking? People aren't going to fall into sin. They're going to fall into sin. We need to have a plan for repairing them. When you invite somebody in, how many nights... Were they sitting around the campfire that Jesus was talking to them about real stuff in their life? Real struggles that they went through. You know, uh, last week I was with a guy who served in a church for 40 years. He was an elder. He was a teacher. He had an affair. The leadership said, hey, this guy, man, he's an upstanding guy in our community. We don't want to drag him through the mud. We don't want to make it worse than it already is. And so we're going to... Uh, we're going to just deal with it in-house. Deal with it in-house means we're not going to confess this sin. Your Proverbs 28 says this, Confess sin finds mercy. Mercy and grace fill the gap of confession. That's when they show up. So when you do not create that opportunity, grace and mercy don't show up. And you know what? This guy wept. We sat in the car and he bawled. And I love this guy. He wept. It's been 10 years. And I looked him in the eye and I said, Brother, I love you, man. And I want you to know the reason your heart is still broken is you've never experienced the grace that can heal you because you never stood up and said, I blew it. I sinned. And nobody can bring you forgiveness until that happens. You can't experience that healing. And so, when it comes to equipping when we're preparing people to make disciples, it doesn't start with giving them the app for three circles. Okay, now go out and do this with six people this week. You know? I mean, I'm all for that. If you knew me, I am all over that. But, no, first... See, I hate when my friends join Amway. You know? They're always pushing it on me. I don't have a clue what product of Amway they use, but they sure want me in. That's most evangelism. We're selling a product we don't use. You know? We haven't experienced the true healing that brings freedom to my soul. And now instead of arguing with my friend that I'm right and he's wrong, instead now I'm inviting him to water that quenched my thirst. So, repairing. Secondly, is preparing. There is training that has to take place. There are skills that people need to know in how to minister to other people. You know, 90% of it is just teaching them relational skills, teaching them how to listen, teaching them how to talk to people, teaching them that when you're counseling with somebody and they say absurd, crazy stuff, you don't act surprised. You just, oh, okay. Just relational skills, which, by the way, 84% of all uh, statistics are made up on the spot. But uh, um, but anyways, um, you so... So a lot of it's teaching relational skills, but then it's teaching them. What are we equipping them with? We're teaching them. How do you care for your Christian friends? The Bible's full of one another's 
about how to do this. Let's create a community of people where we've enlisted people and we're equipping them and we're starting to do this. And these other people are saying, hey, I want in on that. You know, Jesus didn't end it with four. He added Matthew. Eventually he had 70. It was an open door policy that you can join this team if you want to be a part of the mission and come be with me. And I will intentionally make you a fisherman. But it's not just how to care for each other. If you're familiar with the four chairs, chair two is really critical. It's formational. It's like babies. You know, we now know that, that you know, I'm going to make up another statistic, uh, 97.2% of everything that's going to affect a person in their life is going on before they're four. Now, I'm just kidding about the statistic. But what the point is, we now know those those formative years are huge. It's the same with a chair two person. That is critical time that we need to teach our people how to do peer care. Not just you. That's awesome. You know how. You're going to care for every Christian? Like, this is a team thing. Plus, you can't make a disciple maker if they don't know how to care for others. But next... And this is something that Randy hit on last night that is being forgotten. is not just peer care. It's peer share. How do we share the gospel? We have to share the gospel. I want to tell you a story real quick. So I've been in the surfing world. And uh, so my buddy's in Tahiti. And he happens to hit it uh, during the Chopu contest. Chopu is a wave. Go home and search it. You, yeah, you can't spell it. But anyways, um, it's a wave about as big as this building. And it breaks on a reef about this deep. One dude uh, took off on that wave. It crushed him, ground him in. When he came up, he was buck naked and bleeding and did not care. He just wanted to get out of there. And jet skis swept in, got him. They have jet skis that set in the channel. The wave breaks about a mile out to sea. So my buddy's sitting in a boat, and the waves come. The boat, you know, does this. They're huge. I'm literally as big as this building. They're unbelievable. And all of a sudden, this dude from Hawaii, his name's Makua Rothman, he starts screaming and freaking out. And a jet ski comes over because the jet skis are there to rush in and rescue people. He comes over. Makua grabs this guy off the jet ski and throws him in the water, jumps on the jet ski and turns it around and runs right to the impact zone, the most dangerous place. People are going, what are you doing? As he gets there, they realize there's a ski there upside down. Makua dives in the water, grites it, gets out, and people are like, what the heck just happened? That night, my buddy, Brett, He's pulling in at the dock. There's a guy sitting on the next dock over, waves at him. They all wave. And then uh, kind of in a whisper, the captain of the boat goes, that's the guy. They're like, what do you mean? They look over, the guy's sitting in a wheelchair. So what are you talking about? That's the guy Makua went in for. What are you talking about? A year ago, he was surfing Chopu and broke his back. So now he runs security on the ski. He straps himself to the ski. So he cannot get off. And he cannot flip it over. And he got caught inside and he is gonna die. And the only way he can be saved is if someone at risk to their own life is willing to go into the impact zone and bring him out. Sitting in the channel waiting for him to come to us so we can tell him all about a God that loves him ain't going to happen. We have got to train our people how to rush into the impact zone. How to love people. Man, people are dying. They are dying and we are wasting our life arguing about what kind of music, what chords we're going to play, what key it's going to be in, you know, what socks we're going to wear. Are you kidding me? Man, Jesus, He laid it all down. And He said, you want to taste real life? You come join me in a mission. A mission that will cost you everything. But at the end of which, you'll find out that before this mission, you had nothing. Everything it took away. I remember that old Michael W. Smith song. It's amazing the freedom we find and the things we leave behind. You know? We have got to enlist people. We've got to say, look, there's more to this. This is not about you getting out of hell. Heaven is not eternal life. It's a place and it's temporary. We're not even going to be in heaven forever. We're going to return to this earth and we're going to rebuild it. and It's going to be amazing. You know, this ain't about heaven. Here's a question my pastor asked me. You get to heaven, the streets really are gold. 
It really is amazing, but Jesus isn't there. You want to stay? That's what makes heaven heaven. The streets being gold, do you understand what God's trying to explain to us? The thing we're killing each other for, money. The thing we're living for, we're giving a whole life for. In heaven, they use it for asphalt. It's worthless. And we're chasing it. Chasing it. And Jesus says, let me show you real life. But we have to intentionally, relationally invite people and enlist them into this mission. They need to be ready. They need to be in a place with their walk with Jesus that they're available, faithful, teachable, and responsive. And then we need to begin to equip them. That begins first, not with prepare, but with repair. We need to be honest with their, what they're struggling with. Not create a bunch of little Pharisees who are running around saying, well, today I led seven more to Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, last night I saw you were on the Internet here looking at porn. Oh, yeah. And now they live this compartmentalized life where I go out and throw the hand grenades of the gospel at people and create mutated Christians, you know. Instead, we need to deal with it. Jesus is big enough to deal with our stuff. He's saying, hey, come on. I knew what I was buying. You ain't going to shock me. I've seen it all. Literally. He's been watching it all. And so repair, but then prepare. We need to train them. And like Randy said, there are great tools. There's a million tools out there. If you can't find a tool, you come ask me what you need. We'll find the tool. You just Google it. you know. But how to prepare them for peer care with their Christian friends and how to prepare them for peer share with their non-Christian friends, which is then going to move us into phase four where they're going to start doing the ministry. And they're going to call you and you're like, okay, well, you don't have it perfect yet, Joe. First of all, don't cuss the guy out. Secondly, don't beat him up. But you're on track with sharing the good news of Jesus. That's good, you know. And we're going to work through that four stuff. And then we're going to move into five. We're in that group. Now we're going to select individuals that God is specifically gifted with leadership. One of the reasons we're really struggling in America as a body together is because we chose leaders that had never passed through these phases. So we got elders, deacons, pastors who've never made a disciple. Well, you always reproduce after your own kind. So they're not going to build a church that makes disciples. Now, here's the thing. We can all sit here and cry. Oh, I'm a loser. I don't make disciples. Or we can go out of these doors and go make some disciples. You know? Like, that's the answer. Let's do this, man. Look, I'm going to be honest. I am a very below average, not just in height, but below average person. And I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just following Jesus. And he is producing fruit. And there's no one more shocked in the room than me, you know. And I'm not going to quit. And I invite you, man, like McCool Rothman, come join Jesus and lay down your life. I've gone over time, but I'm going to end with this. So there's this movie, Band of Brothers, and we had this little... What's that? You have 11 minutes. Oh, I do? Yeah. Oh, let me add a few more points. And, uh, <laughs> so so there's, this, there's this show, Band of Brothers, and uh, um, in Christian Surfers, we had this little thing, and you hook it to your DVD player, and it takes out all the cuss words. Of course, sometimes it gets all, all backwards, especially if, if you have a lieutenant named uh, Richard. It, uh, it messes it all up. But, but they, it, anyways, we watched this thing, and it, it was amazing. And there's this dude in it. Have you guys seen that movie? You guys seen it? So there's this dude in it who's a lieutenant. And they're all pinned down. And, and they're like, oh, oh, the bad guys, the Germans are getting us, they're getting us. And this guy comes up and he's like, give me your grenades, give me your grenades. And he jumps over the barrier and he runs straight at them. And the Germans, and supposedly this is a true story, the Germans are all like, that guy's running right at us. And he runs through them. They, they go, you know, and he runs right through them. And he goes up and starts putting grenades in these tanks. And then he runs back. I don't remember. He might have done it twice. But, but of course, then they win the battle. And afterwards, he comes up and says, guys, listen. You know what the problem is? You think you're going to live through this. You're already dead. And once you realize it, you got nothing to lose. Here's the thing. Dead men are dangerous. When you follow Jesus into that grave and you lay down your life, you say, Jesus, it's all yours. And I want to tell you, it's not easy. In August of 2014, God said to me in a, in a meeting, uh, I was in a meeting, the guy was preaching, the Lord just whispered into my heart, hey, you told me one time I had it all. 
Your life is mine. Anything change? I couldn't answer. The month, the, the, I'm sorry, the week before that, they had called me in. And told me that my wife could die at any minute. I sat in that chair. I was in Costa Rica. And I said, God, you know, here's the problem. I gave you my life and you're doing a pretty crappy job with it. Honestly, I think maybe we should take a break on you running things. Because this is really sucks. (laughs) You know, and there were a bunch of other horrible things going on in our life. And. For a year, he and I talked through that. But here's the thing. Dead men don't vote. I got no say in this. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. It's all His. It's all His. And when you realize you're dead, when you join Him and walk into that grave and you come out on the other side, what are you scared of? What are you going to do to me? Kill me? I'm already dead, man. You can't hurt me. I'm serving Jesus, man. I'm done. Suddenly, you realize there's a life that this world knows nothing about. Nothing about it. And that's the life we want to invite people into. We are not just trying to get people out of the impact zone so they don't go to hell. We're trying to invite them into resurrection life. Abundant life in Jesus. So, questions, comments, derogatory slurs, or rude gestures. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.